Hello and welcome to episode number 325 of the Armin Show podcast, where we have been learning more, connecting, and have had recently panels, which is exciting, and more guests on the way. On this one here, we have an important topic, connecting food and the mind. We have the author of this book right here. What is the book called? You might be wondering. This is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, PTSD, ADHD, anxiety, OCD, and more. Many of the items that are spoken about a lot this year, last year, the recent years. The author of this book, Dr. Uma Naidu, MD. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Armin. It's lovely to be here. Glad to have you on. You are described as a triple threat, which is exciting. I need to find myself a description as a triple threat. That's a good one. We always find the threes are the good combo right there. You're a Harvard psychiatrist, director of nutritional and metabolic psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, and a nutrition specialist. Why this combo of three? Did they all fit you very early on? Did you see yourself going in this direction in the first place? You know, I didn't uh, necessarily see that. And the combination is that I'm a trained professional chef, uh, nutrition, uh, so I have studied nutrition and um, uh, Harvard psychiatrist. So, you know, it didn't come to me, obviously, but it did stem from my childhood, being surrounded by a lot of family, uh, great healthy meals, spent a lot of time with my grandmother growing up because my mom was in medical school, and just exposure to eating meals as a family, seeing fresh food being prepared, helping her pick vegetables from the garden, for example. But I think that always came with me, but there was always an interest in the science and the scientific information because a lot of my mom's siblings were physicians as well. So there was a lot of talk at the family table around that kind of thing, plus a couple of Ayurvedic practitioners in the family as well. So Amon, when I you know, started to treat patients and realized the power of the prescription pad, I also wondered, you know, why aren't we asking about what people are eating or whether they're exercising? I knew as I was studying mental health specifically that the medications I was beginning to prescribe had very powerful side effects as much as they were life-saving to, to many of my patients. So with that, I began to ask more questions. And that's how I started to piece together the fact that nutrition is important. Um, you know, the fact that then interpreting to someone how to make something that's healthy was also important as well. But the culinary part came later on. And uh, it was largely because I didn't, didn't cook growing up because I was surrounded by this large family where there were lots of cooks in the kitchen. So um, that, that experience came later in my life. Mm-hmm. The influence around us is a big deal. I've noticed that a few times. One time I talked to a guest and her parents didn't make healthy food. So it was a big deal in her life to counter that. So these things are an influence that passes on to us uh, forever in a way. Exactly. Now, food is a big deal. Everybody's eating it all day long. And these issues that are problems are a big deal. They are talked about ridiculously a lot on the internet. Just a bunch. The categories, including depression, PTSD, the items mentioned on the book. In your practice first, what are the categories that pop up the most in day-to-day interest? Mm -hmm. Like, this is something I want to deal with. You know, the probably the commonest things that we see um, are the depression, anxiety, stress, um, trauma, and problems with use of drugs and alcohol, getting really stressed, for example, during the pandemic, or really feeling bored and leaning on, you know, one too many glasses of wine at home. Um, but also an uptake of OCD symptoms, you know, so people feeling even more um, 
sort of discouraged during the pandemic, but then also seeing an uptick of their particular symptoms. So I'm seeing a lot of this at the moment. And I think that, you know, one of the things that COVID did is it really unpacked or um, kind of uh, brought the mental health crisis forward because it was always there, you know, people were suffering, but I think suffering in silence, but COVID really uncapped that in a certain way. That's true. There's a lot of individuals currently in their own bubble, let's say, and it has yeah. become more clear to them these last couple of years versus five years ago, it might've seemed like there was a lot of movement going on. So they weren't noticing it, yeah. but then there was a pause and then they're like, wait a minute, this is how I am existing currently. I think you're absolutely right. The pause uh, definitely created that. So mm -hmm. a moment of self-reflection, we might say. Absolutely. <laughs> good. Now, one thing I like about your book is you have foods and nutritional elements in every category for issues. And then at the end, you have recipes and such for different foods that are healthy in the bigger picture. It's nice because it's, it's practical. Somebody could go to certain sections and say, all right, I'd like to take care of this. What are the best mm -hmm. options? I haven't seen a book like that before. So if we can look at one, for example, such as depression, somebody has mm -hmm. depression, they have a certain diet, they have certain habits. What are the foods that impact that or that also exacerbate problems that they should be avoiding? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the first, I think you're you, uh, making an excellent point because the first thing we want to do, Armin, is we want to look at the stuff to clean up in our diet. And by that, I mean, none of us has a perfect diet, including me. But there may be things that we say during this pandemic have leaned on a bit too much. So the first thing I ask people to do is check out their kitchens. What, what are they eating? What are they taking for lunch? Are they cooking? And, you know, we, it comes down to things that you won't be surprised by. But the surprising fact is that a lot of these foods that are unhealthy for our waistlines or for things like type 2 diabetes are also affecting our brain health. And that's not something that people have been really realizing, which is what nutritional psychiatry brings forward. So, for example, take those processed, ultra-processed junk foods and packaged foods. You know, those are full of color, colorants, dyes, preservatives, food stabilizers, which makes something last on a shelf for so long. Horrible for our brain. Okay, then you get processed vegetable oils. Now, those are often inexpensive. So fast food restaurants tend to use them a lot. So if you're kind of leaning on that drive through most of the time during the pandemic, then you're consuming a lot of those oils. They are pro-inflammatory. And what that means is they are causing inflammation in your body and specifically in your gut. Gut inflammation leads to brain inflammation because of the connection. So that's not helping you out. And then there's the, you know, the added and refined sugars that are everywhere that we don't realize, especially savory foods, pasta sauces, salad dressings, um, you know, ketchup, things that we don't routinely think have sugar. And those are things that we want to avoid. And it's also the category of uh, trans fats and then artificial sweeteners. Those, those can be very problematic for mental health and for mood. So it's, it's sort of checking that out and then starting to see what can you cut back on, what can you adjust, and then building in some healthy foods that can help your mood and help everything else. Mm -hmm. I like that concept. Removal is a bigger deal than finding the perfect items that can be such a solve all because if you are putting multiple items that cause inflammation it doesn't really matter if now you have let's say a blueberry because it helps but you have now created a well, you, large it's absolutely you're absolutely right it's like you can't 
you can't eat your way out of an unhealthy diet. So, you know, if you're eating something primarily unhealthy, you can't take a supplement to get better. You can't just eat a couple of blueberries and think that it offsets. It's, it's a combination of what we're doing on our plate, right? So part of it is also understanding then that it's about that balance. And what I'd like people to understand is that there may be one thing, and I used to do five, list of five or six things, might be just one thing that, the, you know, maybe it's the cookies, maybe it's ice cream, maybe it's the potato chips. Just one of those things could make a huge difference because there is a ton, there's always a ton more food you can add back in to make your food delicious and your meals healthy without even realizing, because as a chef, I really care that food is tasty. You know, I, I, I don't like people to feel they're eating cardboard or they're giving up tons of, tons of food because it makes them feel deprived and who wants to feel that way? So I think it's really important conceptually to know that there's a ton of stuff you can eat too. Mm -hmm. I like the concept of picking one thing because I've mentioned that before, how momentum builds from little items. So if you have, some sort of, let's say, fried food. And I read mm -hmm. that fried items inflame for like a day or they stay for like mm -hmm. a day, two days. So now you cut that out and it's one thing. But now the next day you're like, I might feel a slightly little bit better. Now maybe I'll adjust with some other thing. You can add on items of uh, improvement versus if you never do that one thing, you'll just have this vague idea in your head that I should do something, but I don't know where I'm going to start. It's good to pick something to, to target. Now, on the other end, what are some items that could counter depression or foods that could maybe uplift someone in a way? So, you know, these are foods which we may be eating, but realizing that they are powerful becomes important. So let's start off with something like leafy greens. You've heard your doctor say, eat some salad, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we sometimes overlook that, but leafy greens, the greener, the better, are very rich in a, in a nutrient called folate. Also iron and zinc and a few other things. but Folate is significant because low levels of folate are associated with depression. So just making sure that you on your daily basis have a bunch of leafy greens in your salad or as your side dish is really important because you're then adding that nutrient back to your diet. Then it's things like prebiotic foods. Prebiotic foods actually feed the gut microbes and nurture them. So when they are taken care of, they act in our best defense. And prebiotic foods are things like oats, uh, bananas, uh, asparagus, um, jicama, uh, garlic leeks, onions, a lot of things that we kind of have around, certainly garlic leeks, onions we have around in our kitchen. So those are great foods to keep on hand. Then fermented foods, a recent study published in Seoul in summer this year from a very prestigious group at Stanford University looked at Fermented foods, well, they looked at several different things, but they found that fermented foods actually reduce inflammation. So every culture has a fermented food. You know, they could be kombucha, they could be kefir, it could be miso, uh, kimchi, it could be many different things that you just add it to your salad or add it to your, you know, your, say your, your Buddha bowl or to your protein bowl or to your evening dinner. Those are super healthy for you. So try to add them in consistently. Um, one tip about fermented foods is if you're buying them, make sure you're getting them from the refrigerated section. And also watch in things like kombucha for the commercial versions, which can have a ton of added sugar. So just watch for that. Um, so those are some, some things to think about. And then 
you can um, also include uh, foods that you know include spices that's something that many people overlook spices like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper or saffron have actually shown a significant level of improvement in mood um, you know with saffron you may want to look at a supplement it's one of the rare cases where it's suggested in a supplement because of the amount that we cook with um, is not enough to make that difference, but it's known to be powerful in terms of, of mood. So those are just a few foods to get you started. I like that. The addition of colors and spices, vibrance, it connects with like a day that's healthy and has activity, sunlight, movement, all these things together make uh, life more interesting and varied than if we always have something bland repeatedly. That's not uh, mm -hmm. whether inspiring or healthy, kind of both at the same time. Absolutely. Hmm. Now, also one, one thing that comes to mind is you mentioned a few uh, minerals or such. What are some things that people are short in that you have noticed the average person? What are mm -hmm. uh, minerals or compounds that people all have a deficit in? Sure. So, you know, it depends on the, what the person is eating and, and there are many different, um, you know, factors. Everything is highly personalized. But that being said, there are certain things like living in the far northeast, as I do. People can be deficient in vitamin D. But, you know, I'm, an, I'm all about test, don't guess. So have your doctor check some blood levels, see if you have a deficiency. Um, so vitamin D might be one. If you say are a vegan and you are not consuming any form of animal products, you might notice... Uh, certain symptoms, your doctor might want to check your vitamin B12 level. Um, you know, you, I, I think that a lot of people, uh, and this is easily uh, easy to replace, maybe a little bit short on magnesium, but not everyone. Again, these are things which can be easily tested with uh, your doctor and easily replaced through food sources or through supplementation. So just, just some things to, which are powerful in mental health as well all of those ingredients are powerful in mental health um, and just worth, worth checking. Mm -hmm. A couple of times, many years ago, I went vegan for a, a few months and I didn't do it properly, I guess. And so after a few months, I had like skin peeling off my fingers and stuff. So I was doing it wrong. Obviously, I was missing some things that uh, were necessary, but it was good to notice that obviously some other foods I was eating were taking care of something. So Right. I could see a counter effect there. It's good to test things at times, but also checking with the doctor. What's an early age actually that people should start checking with the doctor about their all their mineral levels? So, you know, I think that much depends on the person's condition. If they are otherwise healthy, you know, your blood, your pediatrician to your um, doctor who treats older adults, geriatrician, will check the appropriate tests, send you for the right screenings. Um, you know, so I think that unless there are symptoms or someone is noticing something or a child say has difficulties eating or doesn't want to eat certain foods and the mom is concerned, you know, that may be worth, worth checking. There isn't really an age cutoff. I really look at nutritional psychiatry from a symptom standpoint. So if someone is reporting something that they're eating, so someone comes in and they have a vegan diet, you know, one of the things I'm getting concerned about is how can we get in those nutrients that they might need? Because vitamin B12 plays an important role in our neurological system, in our brain system, in our brain health. Um, if someone comes in and, uh, you know, they don't like leafy greens or they don't eat veggies for some reason, they just, you know, dislike them. You know, my role is to try to work with them around how can we create more of that balance in, in your diet. So 
that's different from someone coming in quite sick with symptoms of say a vitamin deficiency or something that is very obviously uh, very obvious to their doctor you know and i really have to check this because you have these symptoms then it's different you know we we look at it from from the clinical standpoint mm-hmm. speaking of specific symptoms it makes me think of another person i have a fellow podcaster that i know and he is let's say nine years sober from uh, alcohol and whatnot so he had addiction and such are there any foods that help in the process of someone like that getting away from their addiction and are there any foods that can motivate them to forget about or put aside their feelings for needing whatever that is alcohol let's say absolutely so you know i don't i we haven't looked necessarily at foods that will offset Set or reduce symptoms of alcohol addiction or substance addiction. But what we do know from the general concepts of good nutrition is are a few things. You know, what we don't want to do when someone has been struggling with an alcohol addiction is replace that with, say, cookies or some other addiction, sort of addiction that is more food-related. So for whatever reason, if the person has sort of developed a tendency to lean on something to feel better, we want to make sure they're engaged in a good therapy program, maybe some group therapy that also helps them understand what's going on with them. Because, you know, actions are one thing, but some level of understanding as humans is important too. So that person may need to understand a little bit better what's driving those cravings for alcohol, what's, what's happening emotionally. Maybe they need some form of therapy as well as maybe some other treatment. But from a food standpoint, eating a nutritious diet becomes really key because often you've heard the, you've heard the term people drink their calories when they have struggled with alcohol. So sometimes they lose weight or they may be deficient in certain things, may not be obvious, but they simply would rather reach for a beer or a glass of wine or whatever it is they're consuming rather than eat that nutritious salad. So starting to build back good healthy blocks of building blocks of eating and good nutrition become key those salads those veggies the you know clean sources of protein whether they eat meat eat seafood or they vegetarian whatever that might be um you know those prebiotic foods the fermented foods adding in spices starting with really laying the foundation of now eating and embracing a healthier diet all of those things are going to help their mood all of those things are going to lower their stress and anxiety by cleaning up their diet as they're starting to become sober. What they don't want to do is say, hey, I'm giving up alcohol, let me get donuts for breakfast. Because what happens is that they fall into a different trap, which is, you know, um, kind of getting, getting used to the sugar from those. And we know from research that sugar, and especially those refined sugars, work on the same reward and chemical pathways, the dopamine reward pathways in the brain, as things like cocaine. So we want to be careful that someone with any form of addiction doesn't just switch that to some food issue that may not help them either. This is a great point about not taking a point of weakness and then using that. And now you lean on another point of weakness that's maybe less bad, but you're not going in the right direction. You're just uh, slightly adjusting versus mm-hmm. I need to tackle this. You're coming off one substance. Yeah, you're coming off one substance, but you're replacing it. And that's with therapy, um, individual therapy, group therapy, you know, working actively and on an addiction of whatever kind it is, becomes really helpful because the person, um, the person starts to understand what might be going on. Maybe they struggle with it a little bit, but it starts to bring that to, to their cognition, to their, to their thinking center and helps them work, start to work out what the issue is.
taking it out of autopilot. Yes, that's a good one. I am stuck in this form, but if I start thinking about it, okay, subconscious to the conscious, okay, this is what's causing me to do this. No, cookies is not a solution. I need to talk with people about some uh, non-enjoyment maybe I have that leads to that in the first place, and then yeah. I tackle the or actual boredom, issues. Right. Boredom or depression, you know, or anxiety. People drink for many different reasons. Sometimes there's an underlying condition that they're trying to kind of relieve the symptoms of too. Right. I also like going back to that one part, the gut bacteria, I have uh, checked in about that, but it's nice that you're actually feeding them so they can work for you. That's a nice team process there in the gut. They're on your team. Exactly. Exactly. They're on your team. They're, they're working for you, but you know, you feed them, um, feed them sugar and stuff like, like that. Then the bad guys take over and that's never good for us. Supporting the wrong team. Yeah, that's right. Supporting the wrong team. That's a good way to think about it. Now, Another, this is probably, I don't know if this might be one of the biggest issues talked about on the internet in this year is anxiety, people with an anxious nature, or they feel anxious at times, which this is a category I don't uh, know too much about, but I know it's very prevalent. What can be done by those individuals in the food category? Is there like chewing on celery on a regular basis? What can do this? <laughs> um. So, you know, I think that, with anxiety, um, we want to look at from many different approaches. Uh, learning techniques, so but let's put the food aside for a second. But just learning techniques through therapy, through mindfulness techniques, through breathing exercises, yoga, tai chi, um, dance, exercise, outdoor time, um, hydration. You know, when someone's dehydrated, they can be anxious. So if they've not been short on water for some reason, they can actually have an anxiety attack. I've seen it happen. So all of that becomes important. The thing about it, Armin, is for people to be learning these techniques when they're not, when they're in, a, when they're feeling or in a phase of less anxiety, right? So that when something kicks in, when they have an onset of panic, or they are stressed by something, they can lean on these techniques to start to feel better. It's tough, you know, you, you should never say to someone who's having an anxiety attack or calm down or take a deep breath because guess what? They so, their system is in such overdrive. It's a horrible thing to hear from someone. So I like to tell my the clients I work with, learn these when the days are calmer, when, when you're having a slightly better time. That's the one component. But in terms of food, again, cleaning up the diet and understanding the things that are not good for you becomes important. Um, some of the stuff that can worsen anxiety, Again, I was adding refined sugars, artificial sweeteners. If someone's trying to come off sugar and says, oh, you know, I'm struggling with sugar. I want to go to sugar-free items. Could be the artificial sweeteners in those replacing that taste can be driving certain symptoms of anxiety. So that becomes important for us to understand. Um, and then adding in the foods that can help, uh, vitamin D-rich foods, um, you know, foods that uh, spices like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, all of these can become important. Even having a calming tea, like a lavender passion flower tea, can be very, very calming to the system. So starting to employ those uh, food and beverage techniques becomes really important, uh, you know, for us to to start really leaning leaning into. I am very much a fan of the idea of taking the good times and using those to prepare for the times you know are likely to happen later in the week or in the month that are not right. as great. And when those and times it, show up, yeah. 
Um, so no, I, I thank you for reiterating that because I think it's really critical for us to understand. I think sometimes, you know, we look at fixing things when they happen. You know, a, a symptom happens like anxiety and then we look, look to, to fix it. And the truth is we understand that from the medical model, but, the, but people are maybe suffering prior to that. And what we want to do, especially where food can be powerful, is if we're really adjusting our diet on a daily basis, trying to move towards a health healthier diet, healthier options, excluding the kind of not so great foods, we then are working towards on a continuum of improving even symptoms of anxiety. A simple tip is, you know, magnesium rich foods can really help anxiety. Magnesium rich foods, because magnesium um, can sometimes be what's needed in anxiety. So eating foods like avocado, nuts and seeds, um, certain berries and beans uh, and dark chocolate, extra dark natural chocolate can be super helpful because these are rich in magnesium. So little things like that, learning those tips, um, you know, from that chapter in my book and having and kind of practicing them so that on the day that you get up super anxious and feeling overwhelmed, you know, you can lean on certain things that you've learned and start to include more of those foods as well. I definitely like that category of like walnuts and uh, pecans and dark chocolate and raisins. And these are some of my favorite things. So it's nice that they have some healthy elements to them and for well-being. It's. I, I'd say that I'd say that one thing with 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 dried fruit is just to be careful because the sugar is concentrated. So I don't, you know, cut maybe a couple of raisins, but you know, maybe adding in. Um, one of the things I like to pair with dark chocolate um, is sometimes a piece of fruit because things like citrus, like a piece of clementine goes really well with dark chocolate. So, you know, making that a little bit of a treat for yourself uh, is a really a, a greater, a better choice, but you know, whatever, whatever works that, that you enjoy. This is a good combo. I don't think I really have tried that combo much because it's always like, I would put it with like nuts and dried fruit, but that's mm -hmm. interesting. I may make use of that one. That's a good one. <laughs> I really like that concept that was brought up there about like uh, for letting an anxious person using the times they're not anxious before they get into a zone where the feeling is too much for them to prepare mm -hmm. for that. Same as if someone has four good days a week and three uh, days where they don't have time during the week to take those four days and plan out, okay, how am I going to get things as much done during that time? Because I know it's going to come. Including their food prep, you know, that's a big thing that I spend um, time talking to people about and talk about in chapter 11 of the book, which is about recipes. It's how do you set yourself up for success in the kitchen? Because I know that I, I came to cooking later in life and um, I had to learn all of that on my own. And, you know, of course, I called home a lot and so to my mom, but that, you know, it, it helps us to kind of even out the times when we are busy or in the case of anxiety to have to know the breathing technique that when you have that anxious feeling, you start, you, your body starts to naturally go to the things that you've learned. And when people practice it, you know, it can be helpful. Um, I don't think we should, we should ignore these things because you know, people feel that they're not helpful. I think they, it, it's that we're not practicing them. It is a big deal. It's almost like if at this time, let's say I took a deep breath, huge difference. Yeah. It's almost like there's a space yeah. before and a space after and that separated yeah. them. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's a pretty good one. The meal prep, I would want to get into that. But prior to that, uh, one other condition that came to mind that I knew somebody, he had this, and it wasn't a big deal, but it definitely was 
something he had in store was OCD. He was very, uh, let's say, obsessive about a few activities. Is, is food related to this in any way? Or should they just do that thing they're obsessed with and that's what they're supposed to be doing? How does it work? So so there are foods that can worsen things like um, worsen things like OCD. And I've seen a lot of that during the uh, pandemic. So, you know, one of the things to do is, again, look at your look look at the things that you are kind of that the things that you've sort of picked up that are not the best for you start to clean up that diet um some things to think about in ocd though are a few other things um you might be uh leaning on the wrong foods you know the the you might be uh, consuming a lot of fast food that has msg in it you might be consuming gluten now gluten is not something i expect people to exclude but that certain um, individuals with celiac disease or non-celiac gluten sensitivity may actually struggle a little bit with, with that. Um, they can't consume gluten, but gluten can actually also worsen their symptoms. There are also natural glutamates in certain foods that we might be consuming, like tomato sauce or miso, which is otherwise a healthy food, a fermented food. But if they have natural glutamates in them, they can actually worsen symptoms of OCD. So it's a little bit of a trick situation where you kind of have to work with the individual about what they're eating and then including things like, um, you know, uh, uh, milk thistle, vitamin, certain vitamin Bs become important, turmeric becomes important, and looking at where those added refined sugars are, all those unhealthy foods and cleaning up the diet that way as well. But there are definitely uh, options for you, there's substances and fresh vegetables um, that could be super helpful uh, called minositol and things like that. So, you know, it just, it's just, it's balancing up what your symptoms are and the foods that you need to kind of remove and the ones that you want to add in to feel better. Makes sense. I like the addition of spices and whatnot. So now, actually, I want to go into that uh, meal prep. Have, have you done meal prep of some form do you do it currently and how should someone do that is it like a one day a week or mm -hmm. what would they want to prep prep sure so i yes i i do that all the time because of the kind of lifestyle i lead um and i've also found it to be effective and it helps me not fall into those traps um when i'm hungry and something is not partially prepared or that I don't have something in my kitchen. It's like going to the supermarket hungry, right? You start to go through those aisles where you're picking up the stuff that you know you don't ordinarily eat, or you just you just you're just hungry and you 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 want it. Similar thing with meal prep. You know, you want to be you want to look at your schedule, and you you know, let's take a week at a time. Maybe you're a nurse and you work shift, so maybe Wednesday is the the day that you you can meal prep. You may be a mom who's a teacher or a dad who's a teacher, and you maybe Sunday is your best day to meal prep. Whatever it is, you you pick a time of the week. And I, I try to encourage people to do a week at a time if they can, as much as they can. But some people do that twice a week. Set aside a couple of hours. If you have kids, I encourage you to include them in the meal prep so that they're learning healthy food from the ground up. You know, that they're seeing you wash veggies and they're seeing you, you know, wash berries or, or you know slice up some apples or whatever it might be so pick some things that uh, your, you or your family like whether you live alone or you um, you know you have a big family with you and some of the things that are easy to get done at breakfast so some of my favorites for breakfast are things like chia 
happening. You can make them in small ramekins. You can line up several for the whole week for as many family members. And then each person tops them with some cinnamon or berries or nuts of their choice or dark chocolate chips. Um, you know, something that makes it a nice breakfast that you can, if you're traveling to work, you can take a little one with you. And um, it's filling. It's full of protein and fiber. So it's great for you, plus short-chain omega-3s, great, great brain food. So chia pudding is one of my favorites. Another one, if you consume eggs, is mini frittatas. So I like to do these in a cupcake pan because you get 12 mini frittatas. Then, you know, I freeze the ones I'm not using in little, um, you know, BPA-free uh, Ziploc bags, or the, the, I like, also like to use sustainable um, silicone bags that are washable and reusable. And then you just pick a bag out in the morning on your way to work. By the time you get to work, it's either thawed or just 10 seconds in the microwave, you have something that you can, you can bite on. And they're small, so maybe you might need two. Maybe someone else in the family needs one. So that's another good idea. Um, so those are just a couple of things to think about and then have salads prepped. So don't add your dressing, you know, have your leafy greens, have your celery chopped, have some carrot sticks, um, have, you know, some hummus in, in, in your fridge, because if someone's hungry, the choices are celery sticks with a little bit of hummus, have a nut and seed butter. That's a healthy dip. With all of these, you know, you don't want to eat a half a cup of hummus. You don't want to eat a half a cup of nut and seed, but you want to eat like a couple of tablespoons and have lots of veggies to dip because the veggies are low calorie, but they're rich in fiber and all those nutrients we talked about. Um, by having your vegetables prepped and your, your leafy greens prepped, you can toss together a salad in a heartbeat. Okay, lots of colors from those plant polyphenols, eat the rainbow. Then have, you know, maybe some sides, some legumes prepared. Some, um, a lot of supermarkets will actually steam the lentils for you. You can buy them that way. You can, you can make, um, you know, you can get tofu and grill it if you want. You can do a piece of chicken if that's what you eat. Whatever it is, you can add your protein. You can also go with, you know, a, a roasted chickpeas on your salad. Um, so that's a good one because you can put that together for lunch or dinner. And then for dinner, you know, decide for the week, either different meals that you're gonna have. Is it gonna be roast chicken? Is it gonna be cauliflower steaks? Whatever it is, and lots of sides of veggies. Because, and here's a tip that I like to give people, frozen veggies and frozen fruit in the US are really as good as fresh because they, they flash frozen at their peak. So if you don't have time to clean the broccoli, steam the broccoli or steam the cauliflower, buy them frozen. As long as there's no added sauce or syrup or sugar, you can steam them. Uh, on the stovetop for a couple of minutes and, you know, squeeze of lemon or some spices that you like or roast them in the oven. And those are great side dishes. So whatever you're making for dinner, make sure you have a ton of side, side dishes for, uh, that are vegetable because of the fiber content and the nutrient content, um, just, just as a way to go. So if you have a couple of things lined up, then you sort of know what you're going to be uh, cooking. Another great tip for families or for single people is sheet pan meals. So say you have chicken or say you, well, you like salmon or say you like tofu, um, you know, you can actually do your veggies and your protein with your healthy fat, like your avocado oil, all in the same sheet pan and add spices. That's my favorite is add spices to make it different. And, you know, you put it in the oven and you have your meal for a couple of days or for, for your whole family, that, that meal saves time, saves cleanup. And it makes it easy. You know, the, the more ways that we can make it healthy, but also delicious and easy, that's a great combination.
all in one. With the salad, it's a good idea to, if you make dressing, keep it separate or like in a separate yes, container. Exactly. That's it. That's a good point. Uh, what I like to do is just get a mason jar, glass mason jar. And I make a simple vinaigrette with extra virgin olive oil, a squeeze of lemon. I have different recipes, but they usually literally two or three ingredients and then some salt and pepper. And I keep it in the mason jar, shaken, you just need to multiply it every time you use it and pour a little bit on your salad. Or if I don't have time for that, I always have fresh lemon. Trust me, a squeeze of fresh lemon or some lemon zest and salt and pepper in the salad, it's more than you know, it, it, it's kind of great. It's delicious and you'll enjoy it. If you're ever stuck, try that. But another great idea is to keep that vinaigrette in your fridge like you suggested. And like you said, Armin, don't dress it because it's going to get soggy. Only add that when you're ready to eat it. How long might that vinaigrette last in the refrigerator? Oh, I've, uh, in, if it's in a clean jar and you seal the lid and you're not using, and you're using a clean spoon or you're not, you know, not kind of introducing a, you know, not tasting it and putting the spoon back in, um, which will introduce the bacteria that um, with like seven to 10 days. So oh. if you make, if you make a nice big jar, you're going to be good for, uh, for, for good, you know, good 10, seven to 10 days and keep it refrigerated and just shake it when you need it. This is a great idea. They're very practical. This is, we're in the very <laughs> practical domain, which is nice. Exactly. <laughs> one other thing that came to mind is uh, let's say we took two uh, different people, one, for uh, six months just eats plain rice, plain beans, let's say. And then mm -hmm. the other person eats that, but also with spices, um, colored foods, different kinds of colored peppers, all kinds of uh, items placed on top of it. Six months down the line, um, what kind of larger variations might, be, might, might we see between these two individuals? I, I've got to preface this by saying that a microbiome is like a thumbprint. So, you know, it's going to vary and more and more, even in my practice, I've really moved to personalized nutritional psychiatry plans. So we sort of talking hypothetically here, but I think what you're trying to say is someone is kind of eating a bland diet and eating the same thing. Another person is eating a variety, lots of colors, which gives you the antioxidants, anti-inflammatories from those veggies and plant polyphenols. And, and they're adding in spices, all of which have some benefits. You know, the person who's kind of eating a bland meal, um, I don't think you're making a point about starch. So I don't think it's about the rice or, or, or that. It's just bland versus colorful right. and more variety. Yes. So I think that the person eating that colorful meal with spices is actually what they're doing is that they are power packing their brain nutrients right? They're adding in spices, they're adding in veggies. Veggies are anti-inflammatory, uh, antioxidant, rich in plant polyphenols, full of vitamins and minerals, full of things that you macro and micronutrients that you want. So they are consuming a healthier diet. They are basically in that single plate of food, adding as much brain power as they can. The other person is just eating the same thing. Maybe, maybe it's you know healthy in some way, but they're not taking the power of spices. They're not using healthy fats like extra virgin olive oil, or avocado oil, or avocado itself to help them along. And you know, I think to some extent, I'd say they're not really getting much joy from their food. So I think that that's a huge part too, because you know, unless you're just a person who doesn't care what they eat, most people enjoy a meal. 
Um, it's this time to connect with friends and family, or it's a time to sit down for, you know, for after a busy day. Um, so it could, it could be all of those factors that become important. One thing that came to mind there also is when we speak about inflammation in the gut, is inflammation could be, could be thought about like the same thing as if you get like a bug bite on the skin or a rash and you're actually like, it's not good for your skin. Your skin's trying to get rid of it or solve it. Is that the same thing that's happening in the gut, like in micro sense? So that's a good question. There are different types of inflammation. The type of inflammation that happens with the bug bite or say you scuff your knee um, is, an, is an important process in the body for healing. So inflammation is not entirely bad. It has some really good and important functions in the body because you know, when you get that bug bite, you need your skin to heal. You need the inflammation to go down. Um, what we're talking about with, with the gut inflammation is a more insidious, more chronic process. So, you know, you consume foods that are unhealthy, there are a lot of toxins that come with that. There are lots of food, uh, ingredients in that food which are not great. The preservatives, colorants, dyes, food stabilizers, all of those are not good for your gut. And that's what starts to set up for inflammation. I mentioned, you know, feeding the bad bugs, um, supporting the wrong team, as you said. You know, if you're eating the candy, the sugar, the cookies, the ice cream, all the those added refined sugars are feeding the bad microbes. When they start to take over, they they command the field in the gut. And what what they do is they set up the gut for inflammation. And the cell lining in the gut is very delicate. It's one single cell layer thin. The bad microbes are fed and they like, you know, they, they, are, they are powerful. They start to really break through that barrier. And that's when you start all the time to get things like leaky gut, intestinal permeability, and you really get set up for inflammation on the gut. So it's a sort of more insidious, more chronic process, but you can see how it really gets modulated through those gut microbes. It's nice So there's a slight difference, but it's like you're uh, building up something that'll attack your lining. Fair. Hmm. Now, there are a variety of concepts we have um, covered there. If you had a message to all people about what food could do for them or how to um, approach responding to conditions like depression, anxiety, dementia, and whatnot, what would you want to tell all people on the planet? Food is a very powerful um, tool for your brain and for your body. The missing gap has been we look at type 2 diabetes or our waistline and weight gain, and we forget about our brain. The power's at the end of your fork. So if you're not feeling good, if you're feeling anxious, if you've struggled during this pandemic, while getting to see your doctor and booking that appointment, also realize that you can make a very powerful change that you can control by how you're eating. Just start cleaning up one thing that you picked up during the pandemic um, and start to include more of those good, fresh choices to, um, to feel better. So power is at the end of your fork. And, and that's, that's the take home message. Power is in our hands when it comes to nutrition and whatnot. Nutritional psychiatry. This is cool. Dr. Uma Naidu, I would like to thank you for having joined on this epi episode of the show, informing us about how food is connected to the mind and giving us practical information that I definitely can use and the listeners can use as well. Thanks so much, Amon. It was great to talk to you. Glad to have you on. And we are out.